It seems COVID-19 vaccine myths are everywhere. This is an RNA vaccine, not DNA. And a lot of people don't know the scientific difference between that. DNA is what makes us who we are, our genetics. RNA is not gonna flip to DNA, and RNA can't get into your DNA and change your DNA. And when it comes to women's health, some myths are playing on fertility fears over a specific protein. I read a researcher yesterday who said it's like comparing a rhinoceros and a jaguar who happen to have the same color shirt on. Just because they have the same color shirt on doesn't mean they're the same animal. And so, yes, maybe the proteins are related. They're not the same thing. So how is this and other misinformation spreading? Things that have come to you from another party, another party, another party, you're getting away from what we call the primary source of information. You gotta get back to the person who said it the first time. Just because I tell my version of what you read and you tell your version, then it may have gotten diluted or may just simply be wrong. I'm Rich Clindworth, and we're talking about women's health myths when it comes to the COVID-19 vaccines in season two, episode 12 of Talk Like a Pirate. We're joined now by Dr. Michelle Skipper, who is a practicing nurse practitioner and the director of the adult slash gerontology and family nurse practitioner concentrations in the Doctor of Nursing Practice program within ECU's College of Nursing. Dr. Skipper, thanks for joining us. Thank you, glad to be here. Well, since information and guidelines tend to change when it comes to this ever-evolving pandemic, this episode is being released in March of 2021. At this point, we are still social distancing and wearing masks as we record this in ECU's College of Nursing, so we might sound a bit muffled at times. Now that that's out of the way, Dr. Skipper, since this is your first time on Talk Like a Pirate, can you give us a snapshot of your background and how you came to be here at ECU? I've been at ECU this week marks 15 years and have been a family nurse practitioner for almost 25 years. And 15 years of that have been in clinical practice specifically with women's health. And where are you currently practicing? In a small private practice in Scotland County, North Carolina, Harvey Cohn uh, is the physician that I work with in um, women's health OBGYN. Have you gotten the vaccine? I have. I've gotten my first dose of Moderna vaccine and I'm due for the second dose in about two weeks. And? Uh, day one, to be completely honest, had some arm soreness and a little bit of fatigue. And I sort of had to laugh though because it was uh, the first day we were back after the Christmas break. So I wasn't sure if my fatigue was really COVID vaccine related or the first day back after the Christmas break uh, fatigue, uh, but it uh, was gone in 24 hours. So are you surprised at all with COVID-19, this pandemic and now the vaccinations that there are so many questions and so much misinformation out there about this? Sure. Um, unfortunately, uh, we live and die by social media these days. Uh, podcasts and all these information are wonderful and sometimes overwhelming sources of information. So trying to help women sort through what's really true um, and what's studied and particularly in pregnancy is difficult. Uh, so I completely understand the public's misunderstanding of risk and benefit during this time. Could the COVID vaccines that are currently available affect women's health? We do not believe they do. And I say that with this caveat. Most traditional scientific studies, as many of you know, are done with large, large groups of women over time. And in these studies um, with the vaccine, yes, there were lots of women. We have over 700,000 people who were in the trials. We completely believe they were safe. 
Do we have pregnancy data? No, because no clinical study at this point would include pregnant women purposely. Um, there were women in both trials with both vaccines who did become pregnant and did fine. But we have what we call anecdotal data after the fact, data that comes that uh, women who get COVID during pregnancy can get very sick very quickly. And even though pregnancy is typically a very healthy condition in a woman's life, uh, certainly uh, COVID can make that much more complicated and hence the importance of women considering this vaccine. Why hasn't this been tested in pregnant women? It hasn't been out long enough. Um, you know, we don't, are not even in North Carolina vaccinating women of childbearing age at this point unless they're healthcare workers. Um, and so, you know, our data is very limited. The vaccine is new. We do have a fair amount of data. You know, we've been at this a year now. So we have some data about women who get pregnant during COVID. Um, we have data about women who have COVID during their pregnancy, have COVID when they deliver their babies. We're beginning to get that data because we're nine months of a pregnancy. We're a year into this, but we're only a couple months into vaccine administration. And so we do, again, anecdotal reports, which come after the fact um, on pregnant um, women are beginning to come in. Um, and, you know, as we will get more and more and more of that data in the next couple months as we move into phases where we can actually vaccinate pregnant women. To this point, how does it look? Uh, so far, so good. Um, you know, certainly there are um, the side effects most people have heard about with the fatigue and headaches and some of those kind of things. But again, each woman should consult with their primary care provider, their obstetrician to talk about risk and benefit of this vaccine. And certainly if a pregnant woman has other medical problems, is an asthmatic, a diabetic, hypertensive, overweight, all the other chronic diseases that a woman might have and also just happen to be pregnant, again, might increase their need to have that conversation and to consider getting vaccinated. It is an RNA vaccine. It is not a live vaccine. And so again, we don't have any basis to look from the pathophysiology of this vaccine. It should not cause problem. With pregnant women typically, they get a lot of vaccines, don't they? They certainly can. The difference in looking at what is a live vaccine and not an actual live vaccine. COVID vaccine is not a live vaccine. We don't recommend any live vaccines during pregnancy because that vaccine could cause an immune response that could be given to the fetus, given to the baby. Again, this is not a live vaccine. There are many vaccines that are not live that are given during pregnancy. Flu shots, primary example. Now there is a live vaccine flu shot. You wouldn't want that one, but the majority of the flu shots that the public get are not a live vaccine. Certainly tetanus, hepatitis, other vaccines that would commonly be given during that time, as long as they're not a live vaccine, absolutely would be given during pregnancy. And getting vaccinated while you're breastfeeding? Absolutely. Breastfeeding women should absolutely plan to breastfeed. They should, um, uh, that will not have any effect at all. And we would encourage them specifically during this time to breastfeed because breastfeed appears to increase the immunity for the baby. And so if there's something you could do for your child before it's born and before it's old enough to be vaccinated that would improve that baby's immunity, you ought to do it. And breastfeeding is the best thing we have for a new baby. What about women who are looking to become pregnant within the next six months, year, two years? Should they get this vaccine? I, again, still think that they should. Um, again, risk and benefit, you certainly need to look at your other health problems. But again, the technology on which this vaccine was developed is the same thing as a flu shot. 
So if you would recommend that person to get a flu shot, it's really not any different than the mechanism that this vaccine was created from. Now, again, we've had thousands and thousands of people have taken flu shots and have done that for many years. We have all this data to say, hey, you know, people took a flu shot, they had a baby, everything looks great. We'll get that on this vaccine. We just don't have it yet. Because whenever I hear people talking about their fears, you know, what if this would cause birth defects down the line? I all of a sudden think of what we were dealing with a few years ago with Zika. Right. Like they were saying, it's going to stay in your system. It doesn't appear that this would be this way? It doesn't appear. Um, and unfortunately, that's one of the questions about the vaccine, the good and the bad, is um, we're still, again, we're only a 12 months into this pandemic, which sounds like a terrible amount of time, but when you're doing scientific research, it's nothing. And we don't know how long your antibodies will stay. We don't know how long uh, the antibodies will stay if you uh, have been actually ill with COVID versus getting your vaccine or both. Um, so again, what we have right now is this vaccine is our best effort. Um, again, based on the mechanism on how it was developed, that it should provide protection. I honestly believe that what we will see happen in the future is that when you get your flu shot, you'll get your COVID shot. Uh, you know, we're already seeing these mutant strains or variant strains, different people call them different things um, throughout the world. And, and now, and I think 21 states I read this morning, um, and we don't know if this vaccine covers those variants. We just don't know. I guess right now it's understandable because maybe five years from now, we'll know all the answers. But right now it's trusting faith, trusting science. Polio, whenever people, there were some side effects that uh, until they got that vaccine right. For someone who was talking about the similarities to what happened with polio and that vaccine to where we are now and why some people might be hesitant, especially women, pregnant women, what would you say to them? To again, look at the pathophysiology and the science has been behind making this vaccine. Those were live vaccines back in those days. This is not a live vaccine. So very, very different mechanism of action. Um, that really, again, shouldn't theoretically cause harm. We know that if people would follow the three W's, wear your mask, wash your hands, wait six feet apart. If they would do those things, they can certainly provide, you know, some protection for themselves, for their newborns, for their pregnancy. Um, and again, that's one thing you need to take into risk and benefit. If I'm a healthcare worker and I happen to be pregnant, and I'm taking care of COVID positive patients in the hospital, then my decision about that vaccine is very different from the woman who can limit those exposures or doesn't have any occupational exposures, doesn't have any other health problems. That may be a very different conversation with the provider where you have other ways to stay safe until we get five-year data about this vaccine. Other women are not that fortunate or not in that situation where they can limit exposure. This is an RNA vaccine, not DNA. And a lot of people don't know the scientific difference between that. DNA is what makes us, you know, who we are, our genetics. RNA is not gonna flip to DNA and RNA can't get into your DNA and change your DNA. And, you know, just even briefly to speak to this whole thing about the vaccine, you know, having some kind of chip or tracking mechanism in it. Um, and I think that's where some of that concern has come from is can the RNA get into your DNA and then people will be able to, you know, look at your blood and tell that you've been vaccinated and all those kind of things. Even though the letters are similar, RNA and DNA, two totally different things. You can't just swap one for the other. Going to that microchip, there are people who I know 
that actually believe the microchip. Absolutely. And these are people who I think are reasonably intelligent people. Does it surprise you that on face value, it's like, oh, that's wacky, but there's a lot of people that are believing it. Right. And unfortunately, I think part of that is, is the times we find ourselves in with um, uh, so much conspiracy theory uh, going at that point. But um, I work in an OBGYN office, uh, part of my you know, clinical week when I'm not teaching, and half my staff have taken the vaccine and half chose not to. Um, and the chip was one of the concerns that one of my staff members raised about being worried. And when people ask me that, I pull my cell phone out of my pocket and just say, you know, you're already being tracked. If you're really, really, really concerned um, about being tracked, let's have a conversation about cardboard boxes and let's find out how quickly in your social media you start getting ads for cardboard boxes. We're already being monitored in ways that have nothing to do with vaccine. There is no scientific mechanism that they could be doing that with. Another rumor that I had heard, and this is, I think, the problem with rumors, is that people are not quoting an article necessarily or quoting uh, a specific researcher. They're quoting what they heard from someone who heard right. from someone else. So one of those things that went down the line that got to me was that we've never had an RNA vaccine before. That's not true. The vaccines that were developed in the Ebola virus and Zika, some of the other things have certainly been based off mRNA technology. For any of the flu vaccine, again, we've got lots of, um, maybe not so much in, in the United States because we weren't affected by Ebola necessarily as much. Um, some, but not like the African countries. We've seen that vaccine work there. Um, you know, and you don't hear about Zika and Ebola now because we got rid of it with the vaccine, right? If we can get folks to understand that this is similar science, that we might be able to get back to, quote, normal life um, in the months ahead. What's your best rule of thumb for whenever you're fact-checking stuff, where to go? Sure. Uh, certainly the ACOG, American College of OBGYN, the ACIP for immunization practices. Uh, there's another group called AWAN, which is Association of Women's Health um, Nurse Practitioners. Those are not necessarily lay sites, but the layperson sites, but they have lots of good layperson information. I think many, you know, you want to look at places that have position statements. You know, here's the facts of what we know, here's the facts of what we think, and here's what we recommend. You were talking about things that have come to you from another party, another party, another party. You're getting away from what we call the primary source of information. You understand that in journalism. We understand that in nursing too. You got to get back to the person who said it the first time. And, you know, just because I tell my version of what you read and you tell your version, then it may have gotten diluted or may just simply be wrong. So again, I'd go back to these national sources for evidence-based uh, practice. There's some great midwifery sources, um, you know, from women who choose to have their prenatal care with a nurse midwife. But even again, those groups are going back to these national evidence-based practice um, groups. The interesting thing about this in North Carolina, it, it's great that we're having this conversation early because in North Carolina right now, a pregnant woman, unless she um, is a healthcare worker, can't get this vaccine. But it will be a wonderful thing to start these conversations with women when it does become available to women of childbearing age. So this is not going to be new information. Hopefully folks are, are looking at it and talking about it. So several of these articles that go online with misinformation have started, especially with fertility, with women's health, with this vaccine, started mid, early to mid-December. And 
Have you seen many of those? I've seen lots of those articles. They're talking about a spike in protein that appears to be a similar protein uh, to one that is required when an egg meets a sperm. And so for women who are struggling with infertility, there have been some significant concerns raised. All the research I've done about that shows that whatever spike in protein you might have immediately after the vaccine is not permanent. It's not the same thing as the vaccine. Um, I read uh, a researcher yesterday who said it's like comparing a rhinoceros and a jaguar who happen to have the same color shirt on. Just because they have the same color shirt on doesn't mean they're the same animal. And so, yes, maybe the proteins are related. They're not the same thing. And so we don't, I hate to keep saying we don't know, but we don't know that effect. But again, looking at this from a physiologic standpoint, it shouldn't affect that at all. And I guess that's part of the problem with some of this misinformation, because things are very similar, but they go in different directions. Like the one article, they're quoting some former uh, head of Pfizer, and it is someone who used to work at Pfizer, but they're quoting, and I'm not even sure from what, uh, with the article trying to decipher if he was the head of Pfizer at the time, but he definitely worked for Pfizer. So if you're doing a search for someone who has this name that worked for Pfizer, you know, doing your due diligence, these things line up, even though it might be misinformation. Sure. Looks too good to be true almost. And again, for the layperson, there are a couple websites and particularly for the childbearing woman, I would recommend that you look at the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists, ACOG is the short acronym for that. They have their position statement on COVID vaccine and pregnancy and, and women's health. That's a very good statement. The hard part about it, the statement is much like everything else we've talked about today. It's, it's managing risk and benefit. Um, you know, and again, encouraging vaccine unless there's some reason not to. Women are the decision makers for healthcare and families. So we get women who are making good contraceptive choices, planning when their families come, uh, making those choices, planning pregnancies, or thinking about pregnancies, and they choose health, and they choose wellness, and make great choices for their family. Those decisions trickle down. Other family members get vaccinated. Children are healthier. Um, so we know that if we can educate women well about the benefits of this vaccine, we're going to get entire families vaccinated when the time comes. And I think what's really dangerous about this misinformation war is that there's enough facts in it that if you search this person's name, oh, yeah, they worked for Pfizer and you just it took it. True. Yeah. So this person, but he hasn't been there in 10 he years. Did in a time when you don't have hard evidence, we've all turned to social media. Yeah. I mean, because it, social media is putting information out, the news is putting information out faster than science can, because science doesn't work that way. And so this has really been a very different phenomenon than ever before, because people do tend to trust these sources. Um, the folks who determine about vaccines is actually a national group, the ACIP, the Advisory Committee on Immunization Practices, a well-vetted source of risk and benefit side effects and those kind of things about vaccines. Do we know yet how babies handle COVID or newborns 
handle COVID? There are a few studies coming with that. Some um, now that are showing that maybe actually mom can pass a little bit of COVID antibody to baby. It doesn't appear like a lot and it doesn't appear that the antibodies last for a long time. But again, we're talking about a year into a disease, uh, nine months of a pregnancy. So, you know, we've only got newborns that are a couple months old that we're beginning to look at in those kind of studies. So it's very, very limited data. Certainly, you know, moms we know who have COVID, um, when they go into the hospital, those babies are being monitored very closely. At what point do you know if children will be able to get this vaccine? And if so, what age would you think? Uh, you know, one vaccine currently starts at 16, one starts at 18, but there are clinical trials for both vaccines uh, going with uh, pre-adolescence now. There are, um, both companies are doing vaccine, I think it's from 10 and up in one and 12 and up in the other. Um, and they'll start with that group and then they'll back up, you know, after time. I think, you know, there's some um, pretty good science that shows that children may, may not be carriers of this virus, but if they're, they're not getting the um, COVID illness as quickly and they are responding quickly. Now, certainly we've had some, you know, childhood deaths and some serious illness, but compared to adults seem to be better off. So I think that you will not see that immediately because I think, you know, again, sort of like pregnancy, if you're going to take this vaccine, I understand you're not just thinking about yourself taking a vaccine, but an unborn child. When we start talking about giving these vaccines to children, um, would you give them to your children at this point? Would I give them to my children, my grandchildren at this point? That's a harder question. And so again, I don't think you will see the, um, the rush to vaccinate younger people. Um, some of the studies actually believe that one of the reasons younger people might not get this disease as often is that they're lower to the ground. And that sounds strange, but if we know that respiratory droplets and coughing and not having a mask on, if I'm a five foot person talking to a five foot person, then my transmission, we're mouth to mouth when we're having a conversation. Where if a three foot tall child is below us, they literally might be lower than the viral cloud we're making when we're talking to each other without a mask on. I, I think those studies will come. Uh, I know they're ongoing, but I just don't think you'll see them as quickly as you did with the adult trials. So you were talking about uh, your children and grandchildren. How does that break down with gender? Sure, I have uh, three grown stepsons, and um, one of who's married, one who's engaged, and one who has a girlfriend. Um, and then in the midst of that, six grandchildren, uh, five girls and one boy. So I certainly have a vested interest in uh, wanting to make sure that the women in my family are well cared for. One of my sons, actually two of my sons have chronic disease. So I totally have a vested interest in this. When we've had conversations, the women in my family, again, we're looking at risk and benefit. One of my daughter-in-laws is also a nurse practitioner who's around you know, children and um, around some that may have been ill. So certainly a choice for her to make was easy to get vaccinated. But thinking about the long term, absolutely. Would I recommend my daughter-in-laws get vaccinated? Yes. Will I vaccinate my grandchildren when those studies are done? Yes. As we go to wrap this up, is there anything else you want to add that we have not talked about whenever it comes to women's health, COVID-19, and any of these vaccines that are coming out? Sure. I just would encourage women uh, to keep their health maintenance going during this time, um, especially when you're um, a busy college student, graduate student, all those kind of things. 
um, and it's hard, you're trying to stay away from offices and, and less contact with the public or the medical system at this point, don't make bad contraception choices. Most of us are doing virtual visits, we'll work with you about contraception, we'll work with you on your family planning needs. Don't let some other health condition come up during this time that you don't address. Student health here on our campus has a wonderful list of guidelines that you can use. And then the last thing I would say is uh, be careful about the behaviors you're doing while you're a student on our campus. We know that COVID is spread through close contact and there are lots of things in the women's health world that require close contact. So be careful when you're making those kind of choices. All right, Dr. Michelle Skipper, a practicing nurse practitioner and the director of the adult slash gerontology and family nurse practitioner concentrations in the doctor of nursing practice program within ECU's College of Nursing. Thank you so much for taking your time to share your expertise with us today. It is much appreciated. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. Well, that's it for season two, episode 12 of Talk Like a Pirate. We really hope this helps you with your understanding of the COVID-19 vaccines, especially when it comes to women's health and any apprehension you might have. And remember, if you still have questions or are nervous about the vaccines, please contact your provider. We always appreciate your time, so thank you so much for listening. Until the next time, please stay safe and healthy, and don't forget, always be yourself, unless you can be a pirate, then always be a pirate.